The book of Matthew 5:45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. And the essence of this perfection is that we with our Son shine upon the righteous and unrighteous as the Heavenly Father does and pour out our rains upon the just and unjust as the Heavenly Father does. He loves those who love Him and hates those who hate Him. And so, shining your Son, He warms the righteous and the unrighteous are burned with the Son. The rain he gives timely and in measure for the righteous or either gives no rain or floods them with rain, the wicked one, that he uh, literally floods their cities and themselves. That's the perfection of God because God walks in the light of his word. He behaves within the boundaries of his word and in his word he said who he loves and who he hates. And so our perfection will be like His, needs to be like His. Love those who love, who God loves, and hate those who, whom God hates. And this commanding phrase, that you will be sons of your Father in heaven, this is a great commandment that is the inheritance of the saints of all times. And this commandment is addressed by Christ strictly to His students. And so people who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of a person that is sent by God have never had any part to the inheritance that is contained in this commandment and it is doubtful that they will ever be able to. It just passes them by. They could read it as a phrase, but to understand it, comprehend it, they can't. They understand that God is tolerant, His love is tolerant, He loves us just as we are, Uh, He loves everyone in general, and we need to love everyone in general the same way. That's how they interpret it. That's how they pull pull it out of context. You can't interpret this place of Scripture without the full essence of the Word. If everywhere it describes how God loves, that His love is holy and selective and so forth, as it relates to fulfilling this commanding order to be vigilant over the word of God within our heart that we have received into our heart as the word of God. And so when we demonstrate this word, we need to be vigilant over that word in our heart, just as God is vigilant over this spoken word within the temple of our body. In other words, God has magnified his word above all his names. And he is vigilant in the temple of our of our heart. It is he magnifies it within us in the in our body and every individual person that is a member of the body of Christ. Upon the condition that a person has cleansed the soil of his heart, so that he can receive the seed of the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is not just salvation; it includes salvation, but it is not just the gospel of salvation. It is the gospel of the kingdom. We need to understand that people that separate salvation from the kingdom, at least we will be saved, but the kingdom is not as important as how they think. If you will not govern over yourself, you will not end up in heaven at all. You need to understand that because that is what the scriptures say. 
we have been studying the question, what specific goals does the righteousness of God pursue that we are called to collaborate with within our heart? And we collaborate with it by confessions of our mouth. When we confess God's righteousness, we clothe ourselves, our body, into this righteousness. We may not see it visibly, the results, but the results are already in the spirit. It separates us. It makes us holy. Hell knows this. He hates us. The heavens rejoice. We don't see anything physically. We look at ourselves in the mirror and nothing, uh, it seems like nothing's changed. And others who look at us also don't see anything changed. But only what they can see is how we behave, how we dress, just as the disciples. They knew them by by the way they spoke. They spoke as how Jesus spoke. And so it can't be that you could be with Jesus and not speak the things that Jesus spoke. When you hear the word of God continuously, it will be reflected within what you say, and people will notice it. For you, it will be normal. For them, it won't be normal, because they have a very different goal. Their goals are very different than yours. If your goal is to cast off the old man with his deeds so that you can renew your mind by the spirit of your mind, and after that clothe yourself into the righteousness of God, they have a very different goal. Their goal is to evangelize, to do a lot a lot of good works, to practice spir- uh, spiritual gifts, to... St- uh, step upon uh, the serpents uh, of hell, as they say. They bind. They say they bind them, and if instead of binding the old man and themselves, they try to bind demons. It's not possible to. You can rebuke them. You can stand upon them. You can bind the old man and put him into prison. You need to <clears throat> make him powerless within your body. And so we have been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant where we in the death of the Lord Jesus died by the law for the law so that in the new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of Christ we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected so that in this way we can obtain confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant symbolizing the resurrection of Christ so that we can provide God with the proper grounds to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham or to his seed for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law but through the righteousness of faith Romans 4.13 to obtain confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant This means that when we receive salvation, we receive it in the format of a guarantee, a seed, in the form of a seed. Everything that God gives to us, He gives us in the form of a seed by the preached word, and it can be received if we have the clean soil of the heart, cleansed from dead works. And so this means that we have separated ourselves from our nation, the house of our Father, and from our corrupt desires, and the soil of our heart then becomes clean. And that is when we can receive the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ that is the seed of the kingdom of heaven and grow it 
in the Eden of our heart into the fruit of the tree of life that will be the kingdom of heaven within us, inside of us. And so if this is not happening and people do not confirm their salvation, thinking that they are saved just because they received Jesus when they repented, they received him as their savior, yes, they received him as their savior, but that doesn't mean that he lives inside of them. They need to save their soul and body still because their spirit is renewed it became inherent to gods their spirit has become a programmable system of the genetical line of god his life of god but in him there's a different person that is also a programmable system of the genetic uh, inheritance of the sinful life of our fathers and in us there are two uh the the old nature and the new person and also our mind that is also an anointed by god king he's not renewed but he's anointed because you can't do anything until the mind is anointed to rule over the body and so as we talked about three kings in one body anointed and battle for one body want control of the body and the field of battle is our heart therefore the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior in prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God that is spoken by his delegated ones God's faith is the preach to us word. This is information that comes from hearing the word. Faith is from hearing. Faith is not emotions, not feelings. This is what we hear, information. And our faith is obedience to this information. And so God's faith is the commander, the the general. My faith is the soldier that obeys the word that is spoken. Therefore, by what signs do we examine ourselves that the peace of God rules within our heart, which identifies us as the sons of God and as the most holy? Because if in our heart we have the state of this peace, then this will identify us or will establish us, makes and it will be a testimony to ourself, for ourselves. How will I know that I am a child of God if I have peace in my heart that is not able to be broken by not losing my wife or husband or the loss of possessions or the loss of my life in the flesh uh, this peace can't be broken it is all capturing it's so powerful that no one can intercept it and no one can break it and so if we have such a trust upon God in his words because this is trust upon God in his word this is the identification of this peace And so we need to uh, examine our heart whether the presence of peace is there. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. God doesn't immediately call us sons. When we're born, we make a covenant with God, making a covenant with God. God writes our names in the book, not in the time that at the time of our repentance but when we make a covenant with him because you can repent and then wave your hand and continue to do things as you did before or go to church but not have a covenant with God if a person does not have a covenant with God his name can't be written to the book of life although he has received Christ as his personal savior because when you know when the name was given to it to children to the to babies at the time of circumcision and this was only in the eighth day and so uh, an infant was not given a name 
or any earlier than within the eighth day when he was circumcised. And so Jesus also, he was circumcised in the eighth day and he was given the name Jesus. This is, was a symbol that God writes us into the book of life in the moment when we make a covenant with the Lord the, in the baptism of water. This baptism of water, the covenant in this baptism of water is the guarantee of our salvation to be able to confirm this covenant between us and God. It is necessary for us to grow in this covenant, the tree of life. This is our role. We can't grow the tree of life without the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can't grow in us the tree of life without our consent, without our collaboration, without the collaboration of our faith with God's faith. We can't grow the tree of life. Six signs by which we need to judge of our belonging to the sons of peace have already been subjects of our study, and we stop to study the seventh. And this is our ability to clothe our essence or ourselves into the holy or the selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 14, 15. And so if we won't have love that we are clothed into, the peace of God can't rule there. The peace of God rules within our relationship with God and with one another when we have His love, love of God, love agape, that is so surprising and so different from the tolerant and egotistical human uh, love that it's as heaven and earth, they're different. And so if there a person demands that he be loved and says, you are my brother, so you have to, you have to close your eyes to what I'm doing. Don't pay attention. <clears throat> Don't have any uh, pay attention. You're my wife. You, you're required. If if they ask you where I was, tell them I was there or there, even though I wasn't there and the wife knows he wasn't there. Why do people use this uh, love for egotistical purposes? God's love cannot be used <clears throat> in blemished and egotistical purposes of man. In Scripture, the holy or selective love of God agape, it is selective because it's holy, it is separated from evil. It is presented in Scripture by the Holy Spirit in the light of seven unchanging virtues or components by the preached word of the apostles and prophets that in essence are the unchanging virtues of the qualities of God. And so these seven qualities open to us the uh, heart of our Heavenly Father, the heart of the Son of God and the Holy Spirit as well. This is the kind of heart they have. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. This is the character of God. This is his, uh, these are his original qualities, and we are called to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. <clears throat> Not love everyone in general and without uh, examining or checking. When people tell me we need to love everyone, do we need to love Satan also then? and they become confused. But those that are above their rank, Episcopals, pastors, they smile and say, well, yes, we need to love Satan also. If God is love, they say, and He's almighty, He can. He needs to save Satan and all the sinners, although they have sinned. Otherwise, He's not almighty, He is not love. 
and this, these people speak these things with authority, and these are Pentecostal pastors that say this, that believe that the devil will be saved, Satan will be saved, and sinners will be saved. To one of these pastors, I asked, why is it that we suffer, that we battle with sin? Why then don't we all just sin and we'll be saved? He said, you can sin and you'll still be saved. Otherwise, God is not love and he's not almighty. And so, imagine these pastors with this kind of teaching in themselves, what can they allow themselves? They can allow themselves to lie, to uh, to be a Satan, to commit fornicating things. They don't know who God is. They think that God is love in their understanding. And if He's love and He's almighty, then He loves everyone. They don't understand who God is. He, God has revealed Himself in His words, and the kind of word that He has in, his, in the Bible is the way God is. And in his word, he separates himself. He loves those who love him and hates those who hate him. He prepared hell, the lake of fire and brimstone. And I ask them, well, what about the lake of fire and brimstone? They say it's just temporary. And then God will save everyone and destroy the lake of fire. And we, together with the devil and with the people that mocked us, that lied, that spoke evil against us, and we all together will be in heaven? They said, yes. And I told them, I don't want this kind of heaven. I don't want this kind of paradise. I don't want to be in heaven with Satan that has done so much evil to the children of God. I don't want to be in this kind of heaven that has killed Christ upon the cross. I'm sorry, I don't want to be in such a heaven. This is not heaven. This is hell. What are you preaching about? This is what the church has come to. And so, right now we're studying the heart of the Heavenly Father. And so, in a specific format of the seven given characteristics of virtue that united identify the goodness of God within our heart, this is the goodness or the favor of God, the goodness of God. We've already studied five characteristics and have been studying the sixth. This is the calling to demonstrate brotherly love in the love of God, agape. Having this great and noble component in demonstrating brotherly love in our faith moves us, physically moves us from the state of eternal death into the state of eternal life. Only when we begin to love our brothers and our neighbors, not unclean and wicked people, because the unclean and wicked, they can't be my neighbor. My neighbor can be a, a foreigner, a widow, a, one who is fatherless, who have these qualities. The state of a foreigner is one who's died for the house of his father, a stranger. Uh, the state of a widow is one who has died for governing sin within their body. And the state of a one who is fatherless is one who died for the house of his father. And so when you have this state, this is my neighbor or my 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 close one. This is the one that I need to be considerate of. This is the one I need to forgive. The rest, I don't need to forgive, and I need to actually draw God's wrath upon them. And as the prophets say, may they be condemned, those who have not loved righteousness, but but have loved unrighteousness. Those who hate the truth, who pervert the truth, he says, may they be condemned and cursed using this uh, godly wording of let it be or may it be. And so, God's name Yahweh is present there. He created the world. In in the beginning, it said, let there be, 
uh, let there be light. And with these names, the priests are called to bless the nation of God. And with these names, we can pray about one another using this name. And so there's a difference uh, when we ask God to bless some bless someone, my wife, my brother, my this person, may this person uh, receive your mercy. It doesn't mean that when I pray this, God will do according to my prayer, but He uses my prayer to be able to access the heart of the person being prayed about. And so Moses said, show mercy to the nation as they have sinned before you. And he kept praying, Moses kept praying. And he said, the one I will be mercy, merciful toward, I will be merciful. And the one I will punish, I will punish. And so our prayer doesn't give a, a guarantee that God will fulfill it. He will fulfill it upon the condition if this person is a vessel of mercy, the one we're praying about. You can pray using God's name, let it be, but this prayer, don't confuse the prayer when you're using this name and you pray about someone or when someone is blessing someone else with this name. And so we can pray with this, using this name, but you say, how is it that we uh, with pray among with about one another? In the books, the apostles say, They blessed the church, but if you remember Felix, he said, I greet you, and so you you need to greet them or wish them well, as there's a habit in this country saying, have a good day, have a good evening, and so we can say such things, and when we say, sister, may all the blessings be with you and goodness be with you, that is good to say. You're not blessing them, you're just, you want, it is a desire you have, but that doesn't mean God will fulfill it. This means you desire good for this person, but that doesn't mean that God desires the same thing. God blesses his church when the priest, the person that is placed over the people, when he blesses them, upon the condition that the people acknowledge his authority. And so there shouldn't be any confusion uh, there. You could pray using this name for one another. But again, in prayer, you need to use this name, but, and you're praying uh, to God about this person. You you can't directly bless a person, another person, only uh, God's delegated person, his messenger and his helpers uh, can bless uh, people directly within the church. Uh, A husband can bless his wife and children. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 1 John 3, 14, 15. Relevant to this as with the previous components of the virtue of God, in his unique for us goodness, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the seven forms of virtue, it is necessary for us to answer four classical questions. What do the scriptures say about the power of brotherly love, which which we are called to demonstrate in our faith? What purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill in our relationship with God and with one another? 
what conditions do we need to fulfill so that we receive power to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith in a specific format where you looked at these three questions and stopped to study question four by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith we already studied the first five signs by which we need to judge that we are demonstrating the power of brotherly love in our faith and stopped to study the sixth sign this is our ability to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. You know that when a person has peace with God, he truly will not be anxious for nothing, because he has peace with God. In peace with God, and that contains the covenant of peace, our role is to take God's promises from there because they are already given, they are already existing, and God is ready to fulfill them, but we need to fulfill our role. We need to do something so that we could take it from our account. God placed it upon each of our accounts, all of the promises that are in Scripture. <clears throat> Here's how God will work. What will He use? How will we be writing out the check for what we need? Using gentleness or meekness, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. And so if you have a gentle heart, if you have peace with God, that means you have the state of peace. That means your heart is gentle and it will be demonstrated in the gentleness of our lips, the meekness of our lips. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 5 through 7. And so the mind can't understand this peace of God. In the given place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit, revealing itself in the quality of gentleness, uh, by the means of which we are able to discipline our tongue by the truth that is concealed within our heart, is contrary to the character of the work of the flesh that reveals itself in disobedience to the truth or not believing of the truth. Practically the ability of a gentle or meek person to not be anxious about anything when it comes to his well-being on earth is contrary to the anxieties of man who is not disciplined by gentleness. He's constantly worried about what he needs to drink, eat, or be clothed into, as it is written. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 I will remind us that anxiety leading to the breaking of the spirit, breaking of the spirit is to death. That's not in Christ, but out of Christ. This is when we die uh, to God when our lamp is, is burning out. This is the, talking about this kind of breaking of the spirit when the lamp is burning out. And that's when the devil comes in. Anxiety leading to such a breaking of the spirit are genetic bonds of the fear of man that a person is bound with who has not grown the fruit of gentleness in the soil of their good heart with which he is called to discipline his mouth. And this discipline will determine whether we demonstrate the power of brotherly love in our faith. Therefore, anxiety or preoccupation that a person is bound by who receives salvation in the state of justification is a result of his hard heart, which is identical to something occult that is contrary to the liberty of Christ, which is contained in the truth of the preached to him word. 
Anxiety is testimony of the absence of the fruit of gentleness in the spirit of man, which indicates the not good soil in his heart, which he refuses to clean from dead works. And the most striking is that this anxiety is considered by men of the flesh to be a form of spiritual expression. This can be clearly seen when you compare the definitions of these two words, which are contrary one to another, contrary in character and origin. So, preoccupation demonstrating itself in anxiety is in Hebrew and in Greek. Studying this, uh, researching these things inspired by the Holy Spirit, throughout scripture looking at these uh, when it says do not be anxious preoccupation demonstrating itself in anxiety is disobedience to God's faith this is unbelief to God's faith this is disobeying the faith of God it's talking about the word of God that God has trusted us with an undisciplined tongue by the bonds of gentleness because if we have a gentle heart will have a gentle mouth and we will discipline ourselves and before we say something we'll we'll, uh, examine that seven times before we actually say it something occult anxiety is something occult a hard heart in that of the evil one the path of death these are shackles into which a person is put gentleness that reveals itself in a disciplined tongue is the tree of life the, this is the grown tree of life in the Eden of our heart, the obedience of our faith to God's faith. This is wisdom that is within our heart, strength of our spirit, hardness, and power, power of the Holy Spirit that works within us amply, trust upon God, the ability to trust upon God, His mercy. This is the ability to be compassionate to your neighbor. This is the net of the kingdom of heaven that we have caught ourselves into by the confessions of God's faith that is within our heart. Anxiety in demonstrating disobedience to the order contained in the body of Christ members a person to the category of lawless men who resist the truth of the preached word and try to clothe the works of the flesh into garments of an outward appearance of godliness. At the same time, the gentleness of the heart, which makes itself known in a gentle or meek mouth, is an identification of the fruit of the Spirit, testifying of the presence of the grown tree of life within the spirit of a person. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 15.4 The presence of the fruit of gentleness in a man is testimony that this person is clothed into the virtue of a student of Christ, which gives him the ability to resist the words which come from his personal flesh. This is These are thoughts that come from the personal flesh. This is so that he can open his mouth to confession, confessing the faith of God that abides within his heart. Not what just comes into my mind, but what I know information that I have written in my heart. Thoughts can come, different thoughts. A person says, well, I have a thought from the Holy Spirit, and I say, if this thought can't be examined according to Scripture, then this is your own personal thoughts or the thoughts of of the evil one. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. In other words, when we take upon ourselves the yoke of Christ, then it is light and it is good. It gives grace. 
he says, my yoke, he offers for us to be uh, bound under one. As if, if you know that they'll, uh, that, that sometimes two are bound into one or connected by one piece. They put two of their animals together and they bind them, they lock them into place. This is how he's inviting us to join him in, and be under one yoke together. At the same time, and so when I received, Uh, and so when we receive, uh, Jesus, uh, he received the body as, as, as us, as a, this physical body, but he still had to grow the fruits in himself. And he needed 30 years to be able to grow from the seed of the kingdom of heaven, the fruit of the kingdom of heaven, and so that he have a gentle mouth. Because when he was 12 years old and he was in the temple, he did not yet have a gentle mouth. You see how he behaved first. He, didn't, he was not obedient to his parents. He put them in an a odd situation uh, where he was looking for them. They were looking for him, and he was preaching it to the priests. And they find him in the temple and saying, Child, what have you done with us? And he was telling him, Do you not know, did you not read about me, that I need to be where, uh, where what belongs to my father? But then it says he became obedient to them and followed them and was obedient and continued in that and he acknowledged the authority uh, of <clears throat> and so he needed to learn to uh, discipline his tongue uh, with gentleness and not talk to them to his parents as he did at, when he was 12 we today have children 12 13 14 years old and begin to understand the scriptures and they think they understand them better than their parents and they from on high begin talking to their parents and saying well i don't agree with this i don't think this way as i said one young sister came to me and said pastor my mother doesn't allow me to uh use makeup and i i tell her and i told her uh, to not put on makeup is a sin then I, she said, no, well, then I told her, don't put on makeup. If she's trying to lead you into sin, then don't be then don't be obedient in that case. To put on makeup is not sin, but to not put on makeup is also not a sin. And so if the husband doesn't want you to put on makeup, you're not going to put on makeup. I love you as you are. I like ha the natural beauty you have. But there are husbands who uh, like that she do as she wills. What you like is what I like, and so forth. And so the one and the other, again, are not sin. But you need to look at the authority that you're under. If the authority begins to tell us something that is against Scripture, uh, then we don't need to obey, whether this be a husband, a father, a pastor, whomever it may be. If the pastor says something, he needs to uh, verify it with the scripture, with the words of Scripture. And so to examine ourselves that we are with Christ and we've learned gentleness because having uh, anxiety in the soul means that this person does not have gentleness. This is testimony that demonstrates the works of flesh. And from such people, it says the scriptures say, turn away, that we do not waste what we have worked on so that we 
can inherit the kingdom of heaven and the fruit of the tree of life, which is grown in the Eden of our heart, and to test ourselves on the presence of gentleness within ourselves, which demonstrates itself in trust upon God and upon His word. How does gentleness show itself in trust upon God and His word, in waiting for the occurrence of salvation for our body? How does gentleness reveal itself? It does not complain. When will this happen? How long will this be? How long will I wait? No, it is calm. It is just waiting for the occurrence of salvation for the body. It is necessary. In brotherly love, we pay attention to one phrase of of the being studied by us text by which we can differentiate gentleness from undiscipline and wisdom from stupidity. This is by our ability to make our requests known to God in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, which in essence are the desires of God. When we open up our desires with thanksgiving, we these are not actually our desires. These are God's de- desires, but they became our desires. I go to fulfill your will. We want. We have a great zeal for fulfilling God's will, and our will becomes God's will. Our desire becomes God's desire. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The more accurate version will sound like this, and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, open up your desire to fulfill the will of God, which contains our purpose and our calling. Thanksgiving for the promise which is placed by God upon our account in Jesus Christ that we have concealed within our heart so that we can fulfill the will of God which contains our calling is a form of such a praise where we are obeying our faith to the faith of God, count ourselves dead to sin and living for God, proclaim the non-existent stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent. In a specific It is specifically by the presence of a thankful heart that with thanksgiving opens up its desire and prayer to fulfill God's will is how we can determine that we have in ourselves the existence of the fruit of gentleness and this is how we can judge that we have the power of brotherly love. To bring an offering of praise to God means count yourself dead to sin and living for God proclaiming the non-existent inheritance of Christ as existence. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalm 50.23 Considering the importance of the discipline of praise that, for the nominal part, Christians consider praise that is separate from the so-called format of worship, where where the element of holiness is absent by offering yourself a living sacrifice. Such praise, according to the prophecies of Isaiah, is not accepted by God, and that is why. And so this praise that is separate from worship is not praise. If it is not worship, then we have no right to praise. We can praise God in worship. And so there is no song that is praise and separate song worship. All songs are songs of worship where we praise God. And they here they have separated, just as carnal men, men of flesh, they separate the blood of Christ from the cross of Christ because the cross of Christ you need to pay a price for. But the blood, so that the blood, you don't need to pay a price. And so they take the easy way, the easy path, the blood of Christ washes all sin, I just confess my sins and I'm good. But the old man, 
he will then present to you a new sin. This is a, a, a factory that continues to produce new sins. But the blood, by the blood of Christ, you can't destroy the old man. This factory, this producer of sin can be destroyed by the truth of the cross of Christ, whereupon the cross we die together with Christ. And in this way, this is the key to inheriting what's in the blood of Christ. People have not been taught this, that the inheritance of the blood of Christ is not able to be uh, is not able to be accessed without the cross of Christ, which is key f- to the blood of Christ. But as people don't know this, it is the same thing that praise and worship are one essence. You can't separate the two. When you separate them, what happens? Uh, destruction happens. And so people then allow themselves in praise what even in the Soviet uh, discos they didn't al- don't allow. <clears throat> and they call freedom as uh, uh, d- a demonic ways of behavior, and they call it the liberty of Christ. De- express yourself in any way you would like uh, because you're glorifying God, and God likes this. That's what they say. Where they got this idea, they got this idea from their leaders that say that uh, preached the, to them damaged uh, form of truth, and this damaged form of truth, they confess in their praise separately and wor- and worship separately. In a specific format, we already looked at the seven signs identifying beautiful or fitting praise, and therefore we will immediately turn to study the eighth sign. The eighth sign, the legitimacy of beautiful and fitting praise to God in being a partaker of the praises of Israel is identified in legitimate prayer, praying with the mind and praying in tongues, by the sign of which we can judge that we have the power of brotherly love in our faith. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ephesians 6, 18, 19. Apostle Paul writes that about him, he, that we pray for him. We need to pray that, Lord, may our pastor be given the revelation of your glory because God gives revelations not just for him. He gives it for the church and he selected these people for the church. It's not something separate for the church, a separate God that you need to pray to and and bow to. He's the same person as you, but God separated him so that he can, uh, using his order, he can bless his people, he can give revelations. And for this to happen, people need to pray about this. And if, if you don't pray about this, God won't give you anything through this person. Ephesians, that was the book of Ephesians. And th- so the revelation about the Holy Spirit and receiving Him as Lord and Master of our life is given to those saints who, by studying and following the commandments of, commandments of the Lord, have grown into the full measure of fullness of growth in Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. John 14, 15, 16. Receiving the Holy Spirit, who together with us will lead a prayer battle for our calling, and in this way he will continuously be uh, presenting us before God in the virtue of warriors in prayer, and this happens by receiving the Holy Spirit, which precedes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible to receive 
the Holy Spirit without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so those people that think that they've received the Holy Spirit, not having received baptism of the Holy Spirit, are, are deceiving themselves. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Acts 1.8. When he told us the disciples they were not yet baptized by the Holy Spirit, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And we know in the day of the Pentecost, they came down. <clears throat> in in the situation with the disciples, he they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit himself at the same time. In our case, we are still carnal, and so when we were we when we just began, we're not led by the Holy Spirit, and so we are still as when we were infants and babes, we were still uh, <clears throat> tossed to and from by every wind of doctrine, and, and often being being deceived by those people that we elected. People that are led by the Holy Spirit have a clean heart, uh, a clean conscience, have put in the teaching into their heart, received the Holy Spirit, and He reveals by the preached word the meaning of, of, of God's words. He doesn't reveal uh, things to this person directly, but through the person whom He, he has placed. And that's how they can be witnesses to Christ. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not always receiving the Holy Spirit. At the same time, receiving the Holy Spirit always includes the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is always linked to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, which applies to those saints that have left spiritual infancy. At the same time, baptism of the Holy Spirit will not necessarily include the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, receiving the Holy Spirit is the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, and at the same time, baptism of the Holy Spirit is the ability to speak or utter in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the result of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The calling and purpose of tongues as a whole is focused on giving us the ability to make real our partaking to God by partaking to His nation. However, the calling and purpose of tongues fulfills its purpose when we understand its purpose and practice it as a tool in accordance with the norms that are implemented in Scripture. When we have a gentle mouth that is disciplined, when we uh, use it correctly, we understand the, the, the significance of it. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven and as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with utter, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 2, 2 through 4. When they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the ability to be led by the Holy Spirit, until this time they didn't have this ability to be led by the Holy Spirit. The importance of the tongue in general, and especially speaking in tongues, is underlined or noted in Scripture in a special way. Death and life is in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 18.21 But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I know many people that speak in tongues, that cuss, speak very dirty words, lie to one another, and do all kinds of sins, they disappear or go to places uh, or, or, or create situations where people can uh, win things. 
and they speak in tongues. And so you can understand for yourself they are not... Uh, they speak in tongues, but they're not legitimately used. The, the, the tool or the gift of speaking in tongues. If you're within the power of sin, you shouldn't uh, use this gift. You need to first repent and then practice uh, speaking in tongues. If you fell and sinned, first repent for your sin and then speak in tongues. Because speaking in tongues is one of the demonstrations of the Holy Spirit that is given to us for good. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, to one the same Spirit works for all things. First <clears throat> Corinthians 12, 7 and 11. In the given situation, we need to know that different kinds of tongues are always speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is not always different kinds of tongues. And so when I speak <clears throat> in tongues, I have a, a, a different dialects. I'll notice how one dialect changes to a different type of dialect. And so... It is the same uh, with tongues. It, 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 just like in a physical world, you have different languages, different dialects of language. Same thing happens in tongues. And so, why, and we, <clears throat> and God allows this to happen. Speaking in tongues are called to serve as bits to discipline us, that help us obey the Holy Spirit as the writer whose interests we are called to fulfill. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. James 3.3 Third, speaking in tongues is called to serve as a wheel in the hands of the Holy Spirit, as the pilot of our faith, to direct our faith where God wants. James 3, 4, 5, look also as ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a force a little fire kindles. You can speak in tongues, but at the same time, uh, spread rumors about other people, if, uh, joke with jokes that are dirty, speak uh, deceptions and lies to uh, one another about others uh, and you say well why did you say this why did you lie and he said well I was just joking I didn't mean anything by it but a joke but you can't joke with such uh, these kinds of jokes this is a demonstration of jealousy and although we are not lawless but we're doing a lawless deed when we spread bad rumors about one another we often don't know about a person what we need to know. We hear something, we see something, but this is partial. And so in, and so seeing this only in part, we make an analysis about what it is and And so you need to absolutely know this person or know the situation to be able to understand or analyze something. So it's you can't spread rumors about one another in this way. Speaking in tongues is called to give the troubled and weary rest. For with stammering lips and another tongue he will speak to this people. 
to whom he said, This is the rest with which you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refre- refreshing. Isaiah 28, 11, 12. Isaiah prophesied about uh, speaking in tongues. There will be a language, a tongue, that will sound as if it's stammering. And it's true. Sometimes uh, speaking in tongues sounds like stammering lips. When we don't know the language, they say, well, what are they stammering about over there? You may hear that kind of... Or what, as in, uh, there was a sister that was listening to an, uh, somebody speaking English and saying, what was he stammering about? He's talking very quickly. And so, uh, th- because she didn't understand the language. And so, when you don't, can't do anything with your mind you you then it says in scripture you pray with the mind but pray also in spirit and then praying in spirit you then the stress that you have can uh, will leave you you don't need to go to a psychologist or drink uh uh medications of any kind that will help with that try to use speaking of tongues in the time of stress when you to receive uh quiet and 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 to have him calm you down so that you could receive rest and calm, you pray with your mind, Lord, give peace to my heart, and then start speaking in tongues. Lord, uh, calm me down. You see that I am uh, uncomfortable, that I'm inside me, I'm fighting this. And then you wake up in the morning and you feel very different. The, ups- the situation may be the same, but where did all these uh, in- in- inner feelings go? You're given tongues for this reason, and you need to use it for that purpose as well. Fifth, speaking in tongues is the law that testifies and liberates us from Egyptian slavery of our soul. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day, for this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. Psalm 81, 3-6. And so if when Joseph heard the language of Egyptians, he didn't know and God uh, removed his uh, shoulder from the burden Uh, saying that this was Joseph and that his hands were freed from basket. He was second uh, in in leadership as Pharaoh. When it was talking about uh, he freed them from baskets, it wasn't Joseph, but the nation of Israel. Using this trumpet, God freed them. And you say, well, how did this trump sound? How is it through speaking in tongues, using uh, uh, speaking in tongues, they freed if you remember, everything Moses spoke to them, told them they didn't understand. It is that, that when you something said to you, you don't understand it. God is speaking as it sounds in a foreign. Often in the sermons of pastors, it's a f- it sounds very foreign. Truth that we don't understand as if as if we, like when you listen to someone speaking in tongues, you don't understand what they're saying. There are things in sermons that may not be understood and that God will reveal in his time to you. And we need to concentrate on that truth that we receive, that we uh, understand and we fulfill the, the, the ones that we understood. Then the truth that we received into our heart but didn't understand will then follow and God will explain it to us. And so God says, I 
remove the burden, I lead a person out from the slavery of his soul. How? Our mind is Egypt if it is not enlightened. If we, with the spirit of our mind, haven't renewed our mind, the mind of Christ, this, our mind is our Egypt. And so when we speak in tongues, the mind doesn't understand. But as this is happening using our mouth, and what's happening uh, using our, our what, what we proclaim, God closes us into what we proclaim, speaking in tongues, God takes from us these baskets that our mind uh, puts, uh, puts us or forces us to uh, do, uh, forcing us to do things that we never did before. Speaking in tongues or praying in tongues, our mind will begin to renew. Our God will take these baskets away. How? You need to renew your mind. Uh, the symbol of Egypt is our mind. And to renew it, when it will be renewed, then it will not put upon us uh, the burdens the, 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 so that we build the great things of Egypt, the large things of Egypt. Uh, and so furthermore, speaking in tongues is the supernatural ability to magnify God. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Acts 10, 45, 46. <clears throat> and so you can't magnify God with your mind alone, because our, our uh, speech or our vocabulary is, in any amount, is still limited. And so we give our mouth, we allow our spirit to use our mouth to speak and communicate with God in tongues, a, a language that our soul doesn't understand, and independent of our soul, it, our, our tongue begins to magnify God. And when we, without sin, <clears throat> and we begin to pray with the mind, and we pray then in tongues, we magnify God so that there be a goal. I'm bringing forth the goal to be freed from Egyptian slavery, to receive uh, quiet and, and and calm in our life. Why do we speak in tongues for these for these purposes? Not just to pray in tongues, but have goals, have purposes uh, to free myself from the government of the old person, to receive uh, rest and peace, so that I can direct my faith where God wants to go, and not where I want it to be to magnify God. And seven, speaking in tongues is a unique in its nature form of prophecy. And Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Acts 19, 2 and 6. And so it's talking about a form of prophecy, where is as different ling uh, as different uh, uh, as in different tongues. And so in different tongues, they began to speak in the 
they began to speak. If you remember when the d- disciples started to speak in tongues, they were speaking in the languages or using the, they were languages that people in the area understood that came from different places. And, and so this Galilee accent uh, that they had, and they were procl- pro- speaking uh, all the Hebrew words that they were speaking, they were with accents because that's how the Galilean people spoke with an accent. And so, as you will learn a different language, either English or someone who doesn't know Russian learns Russian, he will still have an accent of of his original uh, nationality or place, uh, it, even speaking in that other language. And so, in this situation, they were they were uh, praying and. Uh, in the languages that they understood and they were perfect. I was in a situation that uh, where a woman was speaking in tongues and I heard her speaking in tongues but her accents uh, or or even the, her pronunciation didn't sound German but somebody that was there understood knew German and understood her and, and he heard or she heard uh that the, the, her German language that when, when this person was praying in tongues and so he uh, bowed his knees and uh, uh, there was a, a pastor that we had at the time was a, a, a German individual and he spoke perfect German and when we got off our knees we were praying and he And so an individual who was part of KGB was also there. And he then turned to our pastor and said, did you hear how this sister was just praying? She was praying in perfect German. And it was very artistic, like like, like a, something you read out of a book of Shakespeare, a very poetic uh, form of praise. And so the others didn't hear it. Only he heard her speaking in German. But... Everybody else was didn't hear that language. And she said, I was just speaking in tongues. And I didn't even, I only finished four uh, grades. And so, I know as one situation where one professor, doctor, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. He was reading uh, against anti-religious, he was reading about anti-religious things. And... There was a commission of many dif- uh, representatives from different countries, and they would read lectures on anti-religious things. And so he didn't know what to do. He took this l- lecture. He he said, "Lord, I don't know what to do in this case," and he decided to come out and say that he's a Christian and he can't read this. That's what he decided to do. But when he came out, he felt the uh, need to speak in tongues, and he listened to that, and he began to speak in tongues. And he said, I feel like it's in some kind of poetic form, as if I'm speaking something in a poetic form. All were confused and just listening to him quietly. For about half an hour he spoke. And when I, when this uh, desire to speak ended, I, and I went quiet, and then 
the entire uh, hall began to applaud me. He was a member of our church. They came up to him and said, why did you not tell us that you were Japanese? And the other one is saying, what do you mean Japanese? The other one was saying, no, he was speaking perfect English. And he's, and he's saying, no, he wasn't speaking English, he was speaking perfect Russian. And he showed uh, evidence of the existence of God, and he showed in a very poetic form. And all these people heard. They were speaking in tongues, and each person was hearing him in their own language. I can tell you a lot of so- stories like these where it happened when a sp- person spoke in tongues and someone that was next to him heard uh, this, what he was saying in their own language. If God has such a need, he will do this. Further, uh, eight, speaking in tongues is a confidential conversation with God, a conversation that is not public, a conversation that is secret, trustworthy, and intimate. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Whoever in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. And so, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. So you speak so that no one else understands. And many saints don't pay attention to people and they sing and pray in tongues. My father ended up in the hospital and he in the nighttime was singing in tongues and praying in tongues and I came to visit him and one uh, individual who was Muslim was also laying in, in the hospital near him and he said to me, tell your father he's not letting us sleep. and he's, he was singing and praying in his t- own language. And I said, Father, why are you interrupting? Uh, my father was Armenian and had an accent, and he said, I'm speaking with God in tongues. What is it to me, this, this people or those around me, that I need to pay attention to them? I don't need that, is what he said. And I was saying goodbye, and, and he was smiling and saying goodbye to me. And I said, I will come to you tomorrow. And he said, you don't need to come. I'm going home. And he said that. And so I went home. And, and an hour later, his spirit left him and he, he died. And so this is an intimate uh, conversation. God wants to speak to us one-on-one so that our mind understand and demons not understand and no one else understand. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. Whoever in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. Speaking in tongues is the ability to edify yourself and impart your spirit. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I, I wish you all spoke with tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, 5. And so to edify means to grow yourself in the faith. Tenth, speaking in tongues is the ability to obtain fruit in your spirit or nourish your spirit. This is food for our spirit. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, 15. And so for my spirit, food is when I speak in tongues. Because in tongues, my spirit speaks mysteries to God, and God reveals this mystery to him. And then my spirit will then reveal to my renewed mind what it received from God. Next, speaking in tongues is the all armor of God that is given to us so we can resist the power of darkness. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6.18 This is the all armor of God. Prayer of a warrior in prayer is an all armor of God, but if there's no speaking of tongues there, then we don't have the all armor of God. Twelfth, speaking in tongues is one of the unique signs for the unbelievers. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 1 Corinthians 14.22 <clears throat> When God prophesied, He speaks for an unbeliever, but when He when we, he speaks uh, in tongues in the in the presence, <clears throat> or he has people t- speak in tongues in the presence of others, then this is a testimony to them. Amen. Let us bend our knees and our heads, and we will pray, and we will thank God f- for who he is for us, what he's done for us, who we are to him, and all those who desire to resist their lust, their passions, and their body. <clears throat> also, if someone has a sin, to prepare themselves to take part in this great mystery so that it not curse us but bless us. We have the ability to come to the up here to the altar and we will pray for you and you will receive freedom and the right to take part in this great service of communion and freedom from the shackles of sin, the fear from fear of illness and untimely death. I'm going to be praying your prayer, and I ask you to deeply believe that God is on your side. He's not against you. He loves you. He is compassionate toward you. He understands you. Although you may think that you're alone, you're not alone. He is with you, and He's on your side. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that your hands are without doubt or wrath. You forgave those who have offended you and you've asked forgiveness who 
<clears throat> whom you may have offended or made the decision that you will ask for forgiveness. Close, uh, pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my pain, with a broken heart. I hate sin. I hate lusts and passions that live within my body. I greatly desire to be free from them. May they be cursed before your face. May your servant be blessed. May I be freed before your face from <clears throat> the shackles of slavery and sin. I love you. I love your truth. I love your church. I desire to be yours now and forever. I want to fulfill your covenant. I want to be your fragrance. I accept your forgiveness, <clears throat> your justification, your restoration in my heart. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am pray, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessing of the ancient mountains and everlasting hills be on you. May they be upon you and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. The Lord is blessed, who loves us and who has delivered us from the fires of hell, who has given to us in Jesus Christ liberty from sin and who has led us into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Let us sing, before the crucified one, I want to worship.
Let us listen to the word of God while we stand before the Lord. This is the mystery that until today is still concealed from many children of God because they do not know how to discern the Lord's body. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 32. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup, and so death again till the death death till he comes that's for our lusts and for all other things that may be in us that are unclean therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord but let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body for this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Please be seated. Thank you. Who eats unworthily does not discern the Lord's body. The Lord's body is the church of saints that has the status of a good wife, who has found such a good wife has obtained favor from the Lord the church is not the the church is the door into heaven 
because this is the body of Christ. And so one that does not discern the Lord's body or his partaking to the body, the Lord reveals himself only in the body, in this remnant, and not every church is able to be called the Church of Christ. Many churches are synagogues of Satan and not churches of saints because there the teaching of Christ is not presented the undamaged form of truth but only the damaged form of truth is presented and there there's no structure of God's theocracy there's no infrastructure of theocracy where there's one God, one man they elect for themselves people that would deceive their uncircumcised ear such a church can't be called a place of God's throne and the Lamb and to understand or discern the Lord's body that you are among such a church that is a symbol of the good wife that is the chosen by God remnant that is the door into heaven we right now will take part in this great uh, communion that all people can participate in that have received Jesus as their personal Savior and have confirmed in the baptism of water children until they're 16 years old this is not counted to them as sin they can take part but after 16 years old they're going to need to stop taking part if they have not yet made a covenant with the Lord I will ask everyone to stand and we will pray for the bread Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ we thank you for this bread your body this is your broken body shall be passing by your people and we will eat of it breaking it may upon each of us your eternal seal of life be and may death be destroyed in our body and may your life be erected in our body may all this be upon your children and be fulfilled upon them amen and he gave thanks he broke it he said take eat this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me please be seated the road that is approached please stand each one will break their own bread breaking of the bread is a sign of humility first of all Jesus always revealed himself to his disciples after his resurrection when they were breaking the bread secondly breaking of the bread is a sign of such humility where we acknowledge that not just the soldiers of Pilate nailed him to the cross because the Sanhedrin decided but our sins the tools were the soldiers of Pilate and the high priests and the, and the uh, scribes, but our sins, they, God used them as tools. And of course, these high priests and the soldiers of Pilate, Pilate himself, they will bear such ve- uh, vengeance upon themselves in hell that no one can even imagine. But God has done this for each one of us to deliver us from our sins so that we coming to him would finally be free from hypocrisy from a double facelessness uh, and <clears throat> that we rejoice for uh, at the success of others and not be jealous for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes
in a way that's not understood or explained to our mind how is this bread can be converted into the body of Christ but it is understood for our spirit our spirit understands we obey our faith to God's faith and we believe that eating this bread we eat the body of Christ and that this body of Christ begins to work inside of us for our good begins to bless us and not curse us if we came and confessed our sins then God will blot out our sins he doesn't just forgive them he blots them out of his memory he doesn't remember them we need to remember the past we or we do remember the past but he doesn't remember the past he blots out these memories and he never remains remembers them and so he sees us today all of us as a whole pure washed with his blood and justified all of us are justified independent of what spiritual level you may be on but all are pure before God why because at the time of prayer we received again this justification and every time this is what renewal is what is renewal when we again renew ourselves once again again and again because we are needing this renewance being within this world where we are always in and we commit sins or we get we get dirty with something in some way just even coming in contact with someone and it becomes unpleasant in the heart you talked with someone something said was said and we need to sanctify ourselves and so as often as you eat this bread you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes for our nation that we died for our nation that we died for the house of our father and our destructive corrupt desires this is what proclaiming the Lord's death we are blessed before God that we have such a unique ability and such knowledge of the truth what is the church of Christ what is the body of Christ and how to discern his body how do we understand the good wife who has the narrow gate I will ask everyone to stand and we will pray for the cup Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ we thank you for the cup of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins when it shall be passing by your people and we will take and drink of it may your favor be upon us and your healing and may we be healed with your life and all our sins may they be thrown into hell may they be blotted out according to your great mercy and goodness and may we be healed and from what we've sinned and we thank you for this justification for this forgiveness and for this healing and we worship before you our great the great cup in the name of Jesus Christ amen please be seated that road that is approached please stand and just as you assisted one another in taking of the bread you may assist one another in taking of the cup we will remember that this cup is Jesus and it is one for the whole world for all generations for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes
Всякий раз, когда происходила подобная вечеря Агада, ужин пасхальный, Every time they had the Passover feast, the Jews, they always sang songs. And these weren't just uh, songs in uh, feast songs. Uh, the head of the household at the table would tell them the story of their exodus from Egypt and explain why he led them out of Egypt, the purpose that God had. So they come into the Canaanite land and what the Canaanite land was. How is it to be understood and deliverance? They were freed from, they were delivered from all their illnesses, from slavery, from poverty. They took everything from Egypt and became wealthy. And here is one of the Psalms that were sung upon this Passover feast. The 18th Psalm of David when God delivered him from all of his enemies and the hand of Saul, this the hands of this Egypt, the old person who governed by the old mind that was not yet renewed. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. He calls the Lord his strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God. In he is my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Stating these names before God that he, in the covenant with God, he states that he will call upon the Lord who is worthy of praise and he will be saved from his enemies. In this way, when we confess who God is to us, what he's done for us, and who we are to Him, we, God takes our confessions and clothes us into the power of His names. If there's anyone that may have been accidentally passed by, please stand. If not, I will ask everyone to stand, and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and forever Amen